As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos, and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Great to be sitting down with Tom Wright again for today's edition of the podcast. And we've got your questions on Bible translations today. Um, Now, this is something that's obviously close to your own heart recently, (laughs) Tom. Having uh, worked on your own Bible for everyone, uh, come out in this large volume now. In fact, we've got copies sitting right in front of us. Um, John Goldingay has done the Old Testament. You've done the New Testament. Um, how long did it take you to, to effectively <laughs> translate the New Testament yourself, well, Tom? Uh, of course, what happened was this, that I started this extraordinary project of doing the New Testament for everyone, which was to write little guides mm. to Mark for everyone, Matthew for everyone, Paul for everyone, First Corinthians, etc. And the publishers said to me right from the beginning, are we going to include the text of the New Testament in these little books? Mm. And we thought about that for a minute and decided we had to because the point was that these would be the sort of things somebody might read on the bus on their way to work. And it's quite difficult on a crowded bus to to have have a Bible on one lap and a book on the other. So we wanted to have text and and commentary in the same little volume. But then the question was, which version are you going to use? (laughs) And the point was this. This series, the New Testament for Everyone, was designed for people who wouldn't uh, be regular students. They wouldn't have sort of undergraduate degrees or whatever. Mm. And to have lots of footnotes saying, actually what this word means is really such and such. Or if I was then to say in the commentary, what a pity that the translation said such and such because really it means this. Those are the sort of things that were, no, we can't say Mm. that in this Mm. kind of bargain basement commentary. Mm. So I foolishly said to the publisher, (laughs) perhaps I should do my own translation. Uh, And then thought, (laughs) What did I just say? (laughs) So we set off doing it, and actually I really enjoyed it. Um, Because the New Testament is vivid, and it's it's dramatic and poignant. And uh, I like English prose. I wanted to try to find ways of bringing Mm. that out. And there were some stylistic tricks which I think enabled me to do that a bit. Um, 
You know, so that for instance, when in the Gospels it says Jesus said such and such, in the Greek it would be um, Jesus said such and such. But in English, if you look at a novel, mm. what you tend to have would be yes, comma said Jesus, yes. comma, and then so mm. the sentence would be broken yeah, like that. Yeah. So I deliberately turned things around right. like that to try to make it more vivid English. You know, the, the one rule is this: if you take an exciting book and make it dull. It must be a wrong translation, even if literally word for word it seems to be accurate. And is it a very different process, I assume, when you're doing a one-man translation as opposed to Bibles that are effectively written by committee and sure, lots sure. of different people are uh, Yeah, uh, of course. And, I mean, uh, there were editors and proofreaders and mm. people who did check it. And then, actually, when the whole thing was done, and part of the question was, how long did it take <laughs> me? And the answer was, I was doing other things, <laughs> like I was um, Bishop of Durham for seven <laughs> of those years. But so I started in the year 2000 with Mark and Luke, and I finished um, – on the cusp of 2010, I think it was New Year's Eve 2010. I did I did Revelation, so right. it was it was 10 years while yeah. doing lots, while yeah. being a bishop and lots of other things. Um, and what I would do was this: I would first take however long it was, five days, seven days, nine days, simply to do a draft of the translation of the whole book, um, whatever it was, mm. and then I would put that to one side, and then. Usually some weeks later, I would take another week or two mm. and carve out that time from the diary. And then I would go back to the translation that I'd done, and I would be praying through it while editing the translation and checking bits to see what from that needed to be said in the commentary. And so the two would be interacting yes. with yeah. each other, and then I would write the commentary. And then finally we pulled all the translations out and it turned into it this turned little into volume, the New Testament which for then turned into the, the, the Bible um, for everyone. The New Testament Absolutely. version of that. Yeah. Both available, of course. Yeah. Um, SBCK it is. publishing yes. it here in the UK. Zondervan probably in the USA. Um, it's or it's Harper. In, oh, okay. uh, my New Testament is Harper, okay. but it's called the Kingdom New Testament. Ah, okay. As usual, go. Americans like their own titles. <laughs> well, look, um, we've got... Um, one uh, American yeah. here uh, on a question says, Christian, who's in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, well, we've already answered the first part of your question, Christian. Why did you choose to write your own translation of the New Testament? <laughs> but the second part of the question was, what can we expect to find new or different verses from other versions popular here in the US, such as the ESV or NIV? Any any kind of particular thing that sort of distinguishes or, or specific verses people might be surprised at the way you've rendered them goodness um, quite possibly yes I mean I naturally gravitate towards Paul because that was my primary research and mm -hmm. that's probably what I'm one of the things I'm best known for anyway and part of the difficulty with Paul and it's an exciting difficulty <laughs> is that some of the big words that Paul uses and I give the example in the preface here um, of, of the word dikazune which we translate as righteousness or justice mm. or something like that we do do not have an English word that corresponds to all the things that Dikaizune meant in the ancient world, in Plato, in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, let alone in Paul. And I use the illustration. It's like a huge cargo ship collecting cargo from many different ports and sailing down. This word is sailing down <laughs> a river, having picked up cargo. And do we have a ship that big? No, we don't neither in English nor in French nor in German, which are the two other modern languages mm. I know best, do we have a word which will carry all... So you have to paraphrase. And so you have to talk about covenant faithfulness or, or God's justice or something. And that will be different because mm. Paul is moving between different 
to us, shades of meaning. So I've done my best to reflect that. And so there's a constant to and fro between what I discern Paul to be saying when he's alluding to Genesis 15 or Isaiah or whatever, uh, and how we could say something like that in English. That's really difficult. Reese in New Zealand asks, um, and also so does Ruth in Westwood, um, New Jersey, actually. Same question from both of them. Why in your version of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit spelt in lowercase? Uh, and uh, Ruth also adds, um, I'm bothered by it, by your breaking with tradition and not capitalizing Holy Spirit, as in Matthew 1, verses 18 mm-hmm. and 20. I know the original Greek text did not use capital letters there. Is that your only reason for not doing so? Actually, a lot of the early Greek texts were in block capitals. Um, Some of the earliest manuscripts are precisely in in what we would call block capitals. But um, this is the sort of question that could only arise within an English-speaking world (laughs) because it's only, I think, in the English-speaking world that we have had the convention of using capital letters when we want to emphasize this word. Mm. And older Um, Christian English in 16th and 17th century used to have not only God, Holy Spirit, Messiah, etc. with capitals, but also any pronoun related to them. So who, his, etc. They would all Mm. have capitals. Mm. And that continued until Mm. the middle of the last century. Mm. And then it started to sort of quieten down. For me, this is there's two things going on here. One, it's partly a rejection of what in the trade we call docetism, which is the idea of a Jesus who's sort of floating six inches above reality and then a Holy Spirit who's floating as though you have to say these words in a special sort of hushed tone of voice. Um, And actually the whole point of Christianity is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and that it's, it's the glory of God with the feet very firmly in the muddy ground And that any attempt to say, oh, no, we've got to use capitals for these because that makes it sort of religious and special. Um, I have a kind of an allergic reaction to that on, on good theological grounds. But here's the second thing. In Paul's world, um, the word pneuma, which is the word we translate wind or spirit, mm. um, was a very common word in spirituality, in philosophy, in psychology, in um, uh, the, the meteorology, whatever. And uh, when Paul talks about the pneuma or the hagion pneuma, he has no means of differentiating it by using uh, a trick of, of orthography like that, of just making it a different thing. In other words, the Holy Spirit, as far as Paul and John and so on are concerned, had to make its way in a world where there were many pneumata, many spirits. Mm. And uh, Paul trusts that that will happen. And that's part of the game, discerning the spirits and to cheat, as it were, by giving this one the capital S so we all know we all feel comfortable. I, I think that that rather sort that's of misses interesting. the point. I mean, I, I just picked up a copy of just yeah, to check for yeah. myself. But you obviously do use capitalization for, for God and oh, yes, Lord yes. Jesus and, and those sorts of. So why why in that well, case is it valid in, in I'm the not case sure, of the Holy I'm Spirit? I'm not sure. I mean, I do. Yes, I just opened at random here and, and Lord and that. That may be, if I was doing it again, I might actually want to do the same with Lord, because okay. Kyrios, we're in a world of many Kyrioi, right. many lords, okay. as he says in First Corinthians 8. Um, and I'd uh, uh, be interested to know what I do with that. <laughs> yes, there are many gods and many lords, but for us there is and one lord, and I've then capitalized, capitalized it. it right. I, think, I think I might might want to change that That's now. interesting. Um, okay. uh, but, but, but I want to say, this is not, you know, if you're in German, every noun 
has a capital letter at the beginning right, of it. Yes. So in German, the, the Holy Spirit is Heiliger Geist. Mm. And Heiliger has a small letter because it's an adjective. And Geist has a capital right. letter because it's a noun. There's nothing whatever right. to do about theology. A, a Pferd, which is a horse, has a mm. capital P, you know, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So th- this is a perception of um, usually, sadly, the, the, the monolingual <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, English, and, and, English and, and, and in a sense, a perfect example of the way in which obviously we are always working from translations yeah. of yeah. Um, what was originally written down in Greek by and large, but which equally was, uh, if you like, taking what would have originally been Aramaic often words and those yeah. sorts of yeah. things yeah. When, which yeah. Jesus would have spoken. Yes, uh, and I remember Rowan Williams in a sermon ages ago on the celebration of an anniversary to do with William Tyndale. Uh, the, the great Bible translator, Rowan said, Christianity has been a translating faith from the beginning. Mm. And translation is always a risk because the language, you know, again, people who only speak one language um, or most two often imagine wrongly that languages simply have counters. So here is a table and um, the German is Tisch and the French is Tabla mm. and we know what that is. Yeah. But then as soon as you start to get into abstractions, whether it's love or righteousness or whatever, no, these words do not correspond one-on-one at all. And so one is constantly... And I think this is part of the joke of being human and of being part of a worldwide family called the followers of Jesus. We're going to come to some questions on specific translations. One, one that I had, though. I, I was recently mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. In, a, in a debate with an atheist. I, I normally chair these debates, mm-hmm. but on this occasion, mm-hmm. I, we were in Oxford. It was put on by the Christian Union there. And, and the main case against Christianity that the atheist had, one of the main cases, was that... Well, why would a God choose to communicate this essential truth through this incredibly, you know, broken form um, of of using, you know, people writing things down 2000 years ago and then it being copied and errors being made. And then, you know, finally, we end up with something that might be approximate what what. And he said any God worth its salt would 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 give you a far more reliable method of communicating this truth. And, you know, and well, I tried to answer that. Firstly, I tried to say, firstly, we actually have quite a good way of getting back to the original text so it's not quite as bad as you're making out but but equally um i suppose there's that question of of could god have done it a different way this seems like a very sort of you know prone to <laughs> us being able to take our own thing from it and yeah re understand it absolutely just like when jesus was walking around people um just heard a bit on the edge of a conversation and misunderstood it or people saw him and thought he was demon possessed or whatever and uh, it's the most extraordinary risk if if there was a sensible god why on earth would he become incarnate and why <laughs> there in the messy muddled middle east mm. um, and wasn't that a risk that he might have been run over by a camel or died of flu <laughs> at the age of 19 or whatever and yes of course it was and that's part of the point because I mean, I, the, the question, which many Christians actually mm. uh, approach things like this as well. If there is a God, he must want da, 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 da. If there is a God, he would have to do A, B, and C. And I want to say, when you hear that word must, run for the hills. <laughs> this is a bad way of doing theology, but as a Christian theology anyway. Um, though many Christians have tried to do it that way, the only way we know about Christian theology, as I argue in that book there, is by starting with Jesus. Paul, um, John says no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. You see that again. How do you translate the Greek? Hutos exegesito. He's provided an exegesis of him. He's, mm. he's unfolded who God really is. And so the messy muddledness is part of the joy of it. 
Otherwise, it would only be severely rational mm. people mm. who would be able to be Christians. And most of the world are have mud, I, muddled, I, I, messy I, I, lives. I did try and to God make that, that point yeah, to this person that, that the particular standard of evidence that you <laughs> require to believe in God is rather different to many people down the ages. And yeah, as it happens, yeah. this book appears to have, in a rather miraculous way, spoken to generation upon well, generation of people not, not only and so, transformed the world. Exactly. But not only so, but if you look at all the great classical texts, whether it's Plato or Sophocles or Cicero or whoever, our knowledge of those texts is almost in every case based on two or three medieval manuscripts. Our knowledge of the New Testament is based on literally hundreds mm -hmm. of manuscripts which go back in some cases, bits of them, to the early second century. And lots and lots, dozens, hundreds from the third, fourth, fifth, mm -hmm. sixth centuries. So the convergence on this text is truly extraordinary and as is the fact that it makes excellent sense within everything we know about first the first century jewish world um, uh, of the time of jesus before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast i have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this easter as you know nt wright is without doubt one of the greatest christian thinkers and apologists of our time and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask NT Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash NT That's premierinsight.org forward slash NT Thank you. Let's go to um, a couple of questions that came in specifically on translations. Um, uh, TK in Australia says, we've been blessed with different English versions and translations of the Bible. Uh, what makes a good translation for someone not in seminary? And how are we supposed to discern whether newer translations such as the Passion Translation or even the Bible for Everyone are accurate without ourselves having prior knowledge of the original languages? Um, and a similar question from Judson in, um, is it Gig Harbor or Jig Harbor? I can never <laughs> remember which way to pronounce it in Washington State. Says, for those who aren't sufficiently conversant with the original biblical Hebrew and Greek languages, what are your recommendations for English Bible translations other than your own and why? Um, so how, how do we judge what's a good one? I mean, do we yeah. just have to take it on trust that this Bible we've been presented with is, is a pretty good yeah, approximation um, of the originals. Of course, we, we are in a funny situation now because there are more English translations now than ever before. Mm. And there is a rough convergence, but there are some very different ones. And some of those translations um, are not actually translations, but, but, but paraphrases. And as I've said, paraphrase is necessary for translation, but there's paraphrase and paraphrase. Mm. I've tried in mind to stick as close to the text as I can 
recognising that many words don't have a, a, a one-on-one correspondence. But there are some, and when I was growing up, there was a thing called the Living Bible, which is still out mm, there, I think, yes. in a new version now. And that was uh, quite a cheerful paraphrase where they would sort of swallow a paragraph home and whole and then say something <laughs> rather similar. Um, well, fine. I'd much rather they were doing that than, than, than not. Mm. And anything that joggles us out of familiarity, that's the thing. Okay. So I've often said to students and, and people, 